0: Let's enter into a new journey here on the TMPT Empire. Getting set to take the DeLorean back to a beautiful time of life. A wonderful time. A time with no civil unrest. A time where we just wanted to watch some wrestling. We wanted to talk about a great era of the wrestling world. We're talking about the new generation here on a brand new TMPT Empire program called New Generation Declassified. I don't know, Declassified the New Generation, uh, New Generation Unle- I don't know. It, it, this is a transition show about a transition era. And if you didn't know by now, my name is Chad. And every single week, I'm going to be joined on here by a couple good friends of mine. First, we have a friend from long, long ago, back in the New Generation a guy who I cut my teeth with at a very young age. He knows the old Chadster under a different name and a different hairstyle, but that's for another day. We're going <laughs> to welcome in my co-host for this show, Mr. CP, here in just a minute, and also behind the glass doing all the technical work as we're actually recording this in video as well and providing this with some very unique and very, very interesting visuals is the one and only Tim W. behind the scenes. He'll be helping us out and uh, doing some amazing video work here on this uh, new generation project that we're working on. Um, but it's my return back to the airwaves here in a more full-time capacity. The uh, last couple of months of my life have been crazy uh, from a work perspective. So it's kind of taken me out of the regular podcasting uh, role that I had. But looking for new ways to entertain, looking for new ways to come up with content. Uh, when I check the Facebook messages and I'm hit up by an old friend, who's got an idea, and I'm going to bring him in right now, Mr. CP, an old friend of mine from the New Jersey days. I don't know what you were thinking when you got a hold of me, but you know me. I like to take the ball and run with things, and we're about to uh, dive into a time where we were very young, very innocent, but used to love wrestling. So let's talk about it. How you doing, CP?
1: I'm doing okay, Mr. Chad. Glad you're doing well and good to hear from you. Uh, it's been a while since we've talked, talked. Um, but yeah, hitting you up on Facebook, Glad to get a pleasant response. Who else would I think of if I'm thinking new generation wrestling? <laughs> you know, you're starting to get
0: into the podcast world yourself. We'll talk about that as well as we go along. We start to introduce you to the TPT empire. Uh, but, you know, yeah, we uh, go back a long way back to this time frame specifically uh, of growing up and being wrestling fans. Um, but when you hit me up and you ask me that question, it, it's kind of funny because this is a topic I was thinking about and something that was on my mind because this is an era that doesn't get a lot of love for some reason. Now, Absolutely. Yeah, I don't know what it is. I, I don't know if it's just because uh, the era preceding it and the era uh, following it were so hot and just uh, full of, you know, iconic moments and lots of money being made. I don't know if it's because this was a down era. But the new generation's got a lot of stories and we're going to dig into it here in this declassification of uh, really a polarizing time that brought you from one end of your wrestling life into the next.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think what you said is exactly why it is not talked about as much. It was just kind of sandwiched in between these two gigantic times for the sport or sports entertainment world of wrestling. I mean, you have that golden era of the 80s and Hogan. And then, obviously, the Attitude Era, Steve Austin and The Rock, and these massive, massive crossover stars. So then, sandwiched in the middle, you have this new generation, with, with all it's all the people that it brought to the table. But never actually, you know, never. None of those guys never really hit that superstardom level of some of the guys from the surrounding generations.
0: Yeah, they were uh, bit players, you know, they were in other organizations during, you know, the the glory years or the big money years, they were young guys gritting their teeth. And then a few years later, they'd be the uh, the top stars. And, you know, some might say it it might kind of copy the current era that we're in. But I don't know. Yep. I, I I beg to differ in, in certain regards because I mean some of the stuff that uh, we get to see visually here as we're recording this. I mean, my God, it's taking me back. It <laughs> just oh, to, yeah, my, absolutely. Where, you know, I never saw anybody faint over uh, a Seth Rollins or a, uh, <laughs> you know, a guy like a Roman Reigns. You know, I never Roll. saw them falling over themselves the so, like, way I'm seeing uh, kids and uh, little girls doing for Bret Hart.
1: <laughs> I would certainly say any of these guys. I mean, especially Bret Hart, and uh, to another de- to a lesser degree, Shawn Michaels are. Uh, bigger stars than anyone in the current crop of uh, WWE superstars. I don't think that's a question at all.
0: Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Now let's kind of just go back a little bit if we can to that, that time period. So, you know, we grew up in New York, New Jersey area, you know, we're going to shows at Madison Square Garden. We're going to shows at the Meadowlands. We're really in the heart of WWF country. So a lot of the stuff that we're going to talk about on this show is going to be really off a memory of experiencing Uh, some things but the plans for this show are kind of interesting because it's not just going to be we're going to sit here and talk about uh, the new generation we're going to review a show we're going to do you know uh, just a general like oh yeah uh, you know the Undertaker beat King Mabel and Diesel beat Sid we're not going to do that we're going to actually take a moment or a match or uh you know a specific topic and we're going to explore it a little bit more so we're going to focus solely on the WWF the new generation years we're going to peek into the other organizations we're going to see what was happening in ECW at the time what was happening in WCW what was happening in Smoky Mountain um just what was happening in Memphis just different things that were tied to this era but Circling back into Connecticut, the WWF, Vince McMahon, Titan Tower, the whole nine yards, and uh, each week we'll have a brand new topic, whether it's merchandise, whether it's uh, a superstar, uh, a house show, a house show loop, uh, a pay-per-view, a Monday Night Raw, superstars, WWF mania, which CP didn't remember. So I had to, that was one great refresher. Why um, you gotta hit me like that? <laughs> we're gonna dig into all this stuff. And we're also gonna look in a few weeks to have some guests on the show from this era that can jump in and kind of provide an analysis about what they experienced through it. Because if you know the TNPT Empire and you know us at all, that's what we do best. We bring on the guests that can really, really take us back and show us what it is we're talking about on a weekly basis but what they experienced so uh something different something i think uh maybe it's been done in other places but now it's got my spin on it it's got your spin on it and here we go so uh you might have opened pandora's box with that one facebook message
1: no i mean i'm glad i opened pandora's box i didn't really expect to be podcasting with you to be honest and now i'm (laughs) Now I'm potentially part of the TMPT wrestling empire as we're doing this new generation podcast. And it's i uh, I'm glad to be here chatting with you. And it's good to have Tim aboard too, who I haven't met in person yet, but I'm sure we will one day. So it's a, it's a good, uh, it's a good experience.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Tim's going to be, like I said, behind the glass and, uh, he's going to be providing us with some visuals. So whether or not this has a visual element at some point, it's kind of helping spark some of the memories. So the the basis of this show is just explaining our thoughts on when did the era actually begin? So, uh, you know, we both uh, oddly enough and funny enough, we both have a different opinion on it, which is great. And I think even Tim, when I was talking with him about the show itself, he even had a different opinion on it. So, (laughs) This is kind of what exactly we were talking about, and there's real no perfect answer to it. But, um, you know, this era classified in Wikipedia is from 1993 to 1997. And right there is where CP takes (laughs) umbrage with that statement.
1: Absolutely, because it begins on October 12th in 1992 when Bret Hart beat Ric Flair to win the WWF championship in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, Canada. Uh, that's kind of how I've always seen it. I feel like Bret Hart winning the WWF championship is a clear delineation from the old school to the new school. I also feel like Bret Hart's title reigns in general bookends the new generation. Um, but I think when you look at that title win and that night, um, it was, it's, it's somewhat of a house show. I know it's been on Coliseum home video and the match was aired on primetime wrestling. But it was, it was a complete changing of the guard. The prior summer, you had the Macho Man and Ric Flair uh, swapping the title back and forth ever since WrestleMania 8. You had that old guard fighting over the belts. Uh, Bret Hart had won the title now. He's the clear younger star. Only a month later, you, you're looking at Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels, who are the cornerstones of the new generation, headlining Survivor Series 1992. On that same show, you have the pay-per-view debut of Yokozuna, Razor Ramon is getting a rub from Ric Flair, Randy Savage and Mr. Perfect. Um, and WWE is starting to wrap up its prime time wrestling series. So, but I think the clear start to all this is Bret Hart winning the WWF title from Ric Flair on October 12th, 1992.
0: It's hard to argue. I, I will give you that. And it's a great, uh, great argument. But you you your, can your argue with that, but I can, and I will, um, <laughs> I agree with you to a point because I I really think that, yeah, it's got elements. Um, There's too much of the old guard involved still for me to call it. The, the dawning of the new generation and i know what you mean i know exactly what you're saying it's just i don't think that that's where they were at that point now fast forward a month and that's where they start to the clean house with the quote steroid guys you see the british bulldog is let go you see the ultimate warriors let go the warlord is let go you know these those guys, guys are on steroids allegedly i wasn't there for the te- <laughs> i wasn't there for the testing but allegedly um but to me this show has too much of the old feel to it for it even be the dawning because a month later they would have to really change gears. Now, the reason they take the belt off of Ric Flair is due to injury. So Ric Flair has said on many occasions, this is not his greatest match. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brett has said on many occasions, this was not Flair's best match, which is, <laughs> I, I <laughs> yes, love how Brett is so honest about things. Um, but just to me itself, they, it, it's almost like Brett gets the belt, get it off of Flair. And then the next month, the steroid stuff happens, forcing them to usher in, a new era which then i then believe the first night of monday night raw when vince mcmahon says literally primetime wrestling will be canceled no longer be on the air next week is monday night raw when we see sean mooney standing outside and welcoming us to monday night raw to me that is the end or excuse me the beginning of the new generation and the old guard is is for the most part going to be gone and that's it. I mean, what what else is better than that intimate venue, the Manhattan center, the macho man, Rob Bartlett sitting out there providing a little bit more of an edgier feel. Yeah. Uh, I feel like
1: they could have let Bobby the brain into the building.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Rob Bartlett, a great comedian, a uh, very funny guy, a mainstay of the I'mus in the morning program for many, many years belong nowhere near a professional wrestling <laughs> ring. I think he would be the first to say that as well. Uh, but that image of the three of them standing at ringside to me, that's where it gets kicked off because there's still too much between October 12th and January that says, all right, this is still the old guard. And they were really kind of forced to make those changes based off of some testing that needed to be implemented. But on the flip side, the first guy we see out of the curtain is Coco Beware.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. As you were saying that I'm watching Coco Beware walk down the aisle. Um, But yeah, um, one thing I would push back on you a little bit is um, that when you said, you know, Ric Flair had he, he, you know, he basically was injured and that's why they turned the belt over to Brett. Um, Makes perfect sense. I know they weren't ready to put it on Brett, but would you expect them to put it on him in that situation? Or if it was August, would it have gone to macho man well macho 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 man was the champion in august so that's not a i think he won in september actually but you know what i'm point i'm just saying if it was a month or two prior would it have gone on brett or would it have gone on someone from the older card
0: it's a good question i think it still might go to brett and that's because of some of the stuff going on backstage earlier in 92 uh brett had a pretty heated uh contract uh, negotiation with vince Mm -hmm. Where he pointed out, like you look, you said you were gonna put the rocket on me. You know, I've carried the IC belt. Obviously, I've become kind of like the cornerstone of that division. And around the time he loses the belt to the Mountie, uh, you know, where he was quote sick, had the hundred and like thirty five degree temperature, whatever they said uh, the deal was. He was in a heated contract negotiation and talking about going to WCW at at that point. Which I mean, I can't even picture that for the life of me. Uh, no. at that point, 91, 92, Bret Hart going to WCW. So I think based off of those intense contract negotiations, he would have gotten the belt. I think that the flare injury forces the hand. And that's why you get the Bret Hart title victory in October.
1: And I would also admit, and I know this is going back prior now to new generation, but that summer previous to that, I mean, you know, Brett Bulldog leading up to oh, yeah. Wembley stadium, SummerSlam. I realized Bulldogs from, England so that's part of the reason that headlined the show but that was the premier feud in the WWF at that time and I can't even imagine like modern era an Intercontinental title feud being feeling so important and so big as that Bulldog Bret feud the prior summer.
0: Right. Yeah. And and again it's almost like that was the closing of the book on the that old guard because we wouldn't see Bulldog for a few years but that feud the match as iconic as it's going to get. I remember meeting Bret Hart in 1996 and him even saying at that point, that was his favorite match of all time. And I remember saying to myself, like, but he lost the match. Like, whoa, what is he, yeah. why would he say that's his favorite match? And then learning more about it and what went into it, how much work he had to put in, how he had to literally carry the bulldog through the match and how gr- crisp and great it was. Phenomenal. Yeah. Absolutely yeah I mean, proud. there's,
1: there's that amazing moment in that match where he does the uh, slingshot over the top rope and, Bulldog's just not there for him, and Brett has to grab the Bulldog, like, to get some kind of guard before he falls to the ground, which yeah. is amazing.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and he's so blown up at that point, you know, and he's out of shape, and, you know, Bulldog was in very bad shape in the summer of 92. Yeah. He was doing a lot of drugs. <laughs> he was doing a lot of stuff that uh Brett has said in the book, like, it just is... Absolutely, uh you know it's a carry job, but you wouldn't know because Bulldog was that good too. And as we're getting a chance to look at it here, you know it's you see elements of the heel Brett we'd see a few years later, uh oddly enough, in this match.
1: Oh, absolutely. That's a little and bit Brett, of a long uh, shot, there, Brett. <laughs> we'll we'll talk about that a lot later too. But Brett was always very good at picking particular moments to be heelish. Like he's he's mentally easily the top. If you know if he's not the top, he's the top three all time just mentally with what he's doing in the rings storyline wise crowd wise with everybody watching him
0: yeah absolutely so i you know i don't particularly hate this, what you're saying and, and and if there wasn't a mother night raw intro i probably would tend to maybe agree with your argument but i just can't deny the change of the feel in january 93 because that that venue itself the manhattan center i mean just talk about the venue itself and you know we we chatted about it before i mean it had what would go on to be the ecw feel where it was very intimate you got to see the same fans every week you know you got to kind of experience a more um you know i don't know uh experiencing the action feel i wish i had been in that building never been there for wrestling oddly enough in new york city one of the only places i've never seen wrestling is uh, the manhattan center but i think the building itself hush- helped usher in this era because you know again it was more rabid you know i'm sure people were probably pregaming before they went in there and it had yeah. kind of like a, a rowdy atmosphere to it and a feel that we hadn't seen on wwf tv so that's where again i i just really lean on that that debut of raw i know it's very easy to say that by the way i know that that's like a very easy uh kind of like a push pin to, to put in the timeline but it's just something about that whole dynamic that just really uh it just kind of hits it home for me you man, know what I, that wish venue I, was? Man, I wish i went to that what the manhattan center what what, oh. what the rose um uh what's it called uh the the names escape not roseland right it's,
1: i think it's hammerstein if i, hammerstein, Could, I think it. it's hammerstein
0: it's the Hammerstein Ballroom. Yeah. ECW would run the Hammerstein like crazy. Uh yeah, went to uh,
1: multiple concerts there as well, but not in the um I believe Raw was on the, you know, it's on the third floor or something. Right, it was right. not on the main concert venue floor.
0: And the last show they did that Raw anniversary show there a few years ago, which ended up being a huge clusterfuck. Uh, where people just hated the the waiting and
1: the the television. Yeah, at least Jr. and stuff. King weren't sleeping. I, I would say they were never asleep during that. show.
0: <laughs> yeah, that, come on, okay, get up! Uh, these kids need to get up their back with this stuff. Let let Jr. and <laughs> King agree. be be Jr.
1: But um, I love those guys.
0: But you know that venue itself, yeah, being on the the third or fourth floor, whatever it is, and having to get the ring up in the elevator, it just it was a different kind of feel. Um. And it has that New York element,
1: you know? Well, it's not
0: Shotgun Saturday Night, which we will talk about down the road, but you it's know got what that element, New York feel.
1: You know what element it had? What? Uncut, uncensored, and uncooked. <laughs> because it's raw. <laughs> exactly.
0: <laughs> now, Vince McMahon in 93, uh, not yet experiencing the bomber jacket, um, <laughs> did not incorporate that into the wardrobe just yet. Not the, yet. No, no, so, no. Do you remember the bomber jacket? You remember oh, the, I. T- uh,
1: okay. I absolutely remember the bomber jacket.
0: But to see, then all right. So then we're we're just these visuals are here for a reason because they're sparking yes. stuff. The so headlock, colorful,
1: right? Oh, exactly. The ahead, headlock
0: sorry. on hunger. The Ico Pro. This is yes. stuff that would in '93 be such a main part of the WWF machine. This Monday Night Raw show. I mean, they're beating you over the head with it already you know, and it's, it's something that would be there. Michael pro. I, you know, I think it was there in 92, but still it'd be there for another year or so. The headlock on hunger. My God, I felt like I knew everything about, uh, Somalia <laughs> relief, you know, based off of what was going on with the headlock on hunger. But this is the stuff, man, that I'm saying that this, uh, this January 93 show, it really changed how the, the, the company did their business.
1: Yeah, no, I, uh, I mean, I don't disagree with you that this is a very important show. It's, clearly a complete departure from what they had been done in, doing prior. I mean, you have, it took the time slot of primetime wrestling, which was a studio based show where, you know, they would, they would show basically clips from uh, where they all Coliseum video shows. They were kind basically of like kind of. tapings. Yeah, like, they were yeah.
0: tapings. Yeah. They were, they would do either a Coliseum taping, or uh, a few years prior, they'd run more like the MSG shows on there. They would show you, you know, but they wouldn't give you the good, <laughs> good matches. They'd give you, you yeah. know, uh, Paul Roma versus the Iron Sheik. You know, they wouldn't give you stuff that was necessarily the main event of the show. Well, they'd just give you a piece of it.
1: So that's what's interesting too. Uh, when you watch the first Monday Night Raw, if you don't, if you don't have a context of the prior years, I don't know that you would realize how big of a departure it is because. I think in comparison to modern wrestling, it kind of is squash matches, um, but it's not because right. you used to literally see, you know, everybody would it would it, you know it, it would be like um, Ultimate Warrior versus Barry Horowitz, uh, and then you'd get to a main event where it's maybe somebody that's pretty good against like a not very good guy, but you knew his name would be the main event. Yeah, um, versus like this where you're getting Yokozuna versus Coco beware. It's like, you know, Yoko is this future star and you know, he's going right. to beat Coco beware, but Coco's a legit name. And he, he's not just some, you know, he's not just a, no disrespect to anybody, but he's not just a, he's just something. He's not just an anybody jobber. He's Coco right. beware.
0: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Right. And the way they built up Yokozuna was that they had him run through a lot of the mainstays and that was getting him over. That was, wow. he beat Coco mm-hmm. beware. Wow. He beat Virgil. You know, it was uh, those were big victories at that point in time. Um, but another interesting part with prime time to Raw, prime time is two hours, Raw is one hour. So you're losing programming, but you're getting it live every other week, and uh, that was kind of the trade off. Um, whether or not you feel that's appropriate for wrestling, one hour, I I tend to think the 93 Raws are perfect. If you watch them, and I actually at one point did watch the whole entire year chronologically, they are perfect at one hour apiece. Now, the two-hour primetimes, I think they're perfect because you get to see all these different squash matches. You get to see, you know, the promos, the event center. You get to see the WWF on display. So it's kind of a trade-off. You're, you're getting a live show. It's only an hour. You're getting a tape show. It's two hours. So that's another big difference there.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, and I, I agree with you. They're both perfect. I, I remember falling asleep when I was a child watching primetime wrestling all the time. <laughs> And it was it was it was an experience, and I always enjoyed it. Especially those, you know, Oof. anytime you had Gorilla and Bobby Heenan interacting, it was always amazing. But then, you know, you get this crazy lab experience with Yokozuna just squashing Cocoa B.
0: literally <laughs> squashing him like a grape. <laughs> I mean, that was, uh, you know, I don't care how you, you you try to protect that, that's still a giant rear end going right on your chest cavity. But uh, <laughs> you know, the the characters here, like we're seeing Doink the Clown, who was Matt born yeah. at the time there at the end of 92, but didn't get in the ring. Didn't really do anything until 93. And this is a character uh, we will absolutely delve into because the, the psychology of a evil clown is unbelievable. Um, But back then we thought it was kind of goofy. Now this goes to your point on what we're watching. Exactly what you said. Here's Typhoon (laughs) taking on Doink. Who's a brand new character. So they're using the more established guys from that past era to get guys over and that formula is kind of never left wrestling. It's just interesting to see it, you know, and the, the the dynamic we're talking about of October 92 versus January 93.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, and Typhoon is, uh, he kind of hit his peak already in WWE when, or WWF when the natural disasters were tag team champions. So, you know, he had his tugboat years <laughs> uh, and then he had the natural disasters, which were his peak and now he's Typhoon.
0: I this is not a uh, federation era podcast uh but as much as i love fred ottman who is a very wonderful man uncle fred one of the nicest guys that i think i've ever met in my life uh when you squashed hulk hogan you squashed everything inside that's all i could say that's all that's all i'll tell you right now you maybe get those friendship bracelets and then you squash them like <laughs> a grape how could you do that
1: <laughs> i to. So you this is totally a sad uh Legends of Wrestling Roundtable on WWE Network, but it used to be on WWE Classic On Demand. Yeah. Dusty Rhodes used to talk about uh, Fred Oddman when he would talk about the Shockmaster, and it was was just very funny the way he would talk about
0: him. Oh, yeah, absolutely. (laughs) No, he's uh, the, yeah, the Uncle Fred, Cody Rhodes, watching uh, the Shockmaster fall on his ass. Um,
1: um, One thing great about this Monday Night Raw, though, is you get to that... um, Damien Demento character and I don't know I don't know if he I'm sure he was on TV before this I don't remember yes. that he was on TV before this but um that's later in the show obviously but he just reminds me of it, it, my childhood because my dad was convinced that he was Jesse Ventura <laughs> <laughs> it always I always think of that when I see Damien Demento on a card lineup
0: oh my gosh yeah Damien Demento um again goofy in that realm, goofy in that era. But looking back like, damn, like man, they could have done something with this guy. He's a big guy. You know, he's got a real unique look, but unfortunately the problem was, is that, you know, everybody just fell under a microscope. Everybody was either too goofy or not like legitimate enough to be kind of like a, 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 a WWF guy. You know what I mean? They just it seemed like there was not a comfort level with fans to these yeah, absolutely. At that era, and they were guys that were great, lunch pail guys that were working hard every single night, try to put on a good product, and it just uh, it didn't work out. I don't know what. Well, it you, is
1: you you look at those last so there's there was four matches on Raw. I'm looking at the lineup right now, and you have the last two are Shawn Michaels and Max Moon, and then Undertaker, Damian Demento, and it's like you know you have these two legends that come out of these last two matches, but you know Damian Demento, I agree with you, he looks like he could be a star, he just wasn't packaged correctly. And then right. Max Moon's a whole other story. I don't know how, yeah, how you feel mean, about Max Moon.
0: And the, the Jesse Ventura thing? I mean, maybe. Jesse did have a mullet at that point, so I could see. Yeah, you know,
1: this is just my crazy dad. That's, uh, <laughs>
0: hey, your dad sat through many a shows, so oh, he, he, did, uh, he, did. he he has a right to say whatever he wants because he, uh, he sat through many a wrestling he, show.
1: <laughs> he, he does not believe me to this day that there's not like 17 different undertakers even though i'm like but look how old he was why would they take such an old man and put him out there
0: it's <laughs> great yeah no your dad just definitely threw the rigors and uh quite the resume for mm-hmm. a, a guy who casually attend you know wrestling shows <laughs> <And Madison laughs> yes, yes. Bernard, mind you and see that's a great part too of like i said what we'll be able to talk about from that era look we grew up in the heart of wwf country okay it was wwf mm-hmm everything everywhere yes we got WCW of course we had TBS like everybody else in the country but this was their backyard this was the Meadowlands the Nassau Coliseum the Spectrum the Garden these are Boston was only a couple hours away so we got a lot of the Boston coverage uh, on the local TV I mean this is stuff that we got to hear about arenas and places and spot shows that maybe other parts of the country had no idea about uh, Providence, Rhode Island. I didn't know where Providence, Rhode Island was. I just knew that there was wrestling there every couple of weeks. And yeah. that, to me, is why I think this is a good topic for us to cover. Because, yes, the times are down. Yes, the houses were down. But in you wouldn't know in New York and New Jersey, WWF yeah. was as hot as a pistol. That whole entire time, and I know we went to many shows that were packed to the gills. We went to many uh, events that were just absolute bedlam. And I don't care what anybody says, you go to New York City, WWF mid nineties, you still see in a full house.
1: Anytime I went to the Garden in this era, the Garden was full. Which is, I've I've only been to two Garden shows like in the last you know decade, but it's they they're not even close to full. I
0: got turned away from the garden in 98. Um, I won tickets through a contest in the daily news to get, uh, you might've even gone. Were you the one I took to the show? I don't remember. I took somebody to the show. I won tickets to the garden, show up, ended up just being vouchers and we couldn't get in. And I was like, oh my God, like, all right, (laughs) <laughs> this, this, this company is literally, it's untouchable now. Like You thought it was big before in New York. Now you can't even get yeah. in the building with a, a purchase, or excuse me, with a ticket one through a promotion of a major newspaper like the Daily News. Um, I think you might have been there. I can't remember. But nonetheless, uh, this is why this show is going to be unique. It's going to be a little different. Uh, these visual elements are just unbelievable because uh, I might just shut up and start watching Rick Martell versus Rick Martel. the Texas tornado from Madison <laughs> Square Garden here because uh, if you know anything about me, I'm a giant Rick Martell fan, so I could sit here and uh, watch the physique and the uh, the finesse of the model Rick, all day long. Rick
1: Martell is one of the more entertaining people ever. I will not disagree with you on that. Um, I was – this is off topic. Uh, I was watching – probably six months ago old uh, old wcw nitros which is like 96 97 oh, yeah. nitros and rick Martel's kind of like a jobber but he's there and he's but he's so entertaining he's not like half-assing it he, he is working out there he's entertaining the crowd while he's mad rick martell
0: got a huge push in wcw and ended up winning the tv title like twice before his back injury ended his career and he's uh yeah he could have kept going he was in amazing shape he, that's a great uh, great callback right there. Uh, but I'll tell you what, he's got a huge new generation moment in 93, if you recall. I'm going to test your knowledge. Do you remember? What is,
1: it? what is the what is the moment? I'll remember when you say. It's
0: said. the 1993 <laughs> Intercontinental title, Battle Royal, where the final... Oh, or excuse me, 94. Four, I'm sorry, okay. 94.
1: Four the two, versus when him and Razor Ramon win the Battle Royal. Correct. The they two, have their match right. for the, the title. yeah The
0: match is unbelievable.
1: I, yes, uh, unbelievable and
0: unbelievable match,
1: and that is a time where I am a huge Razor Ramon fan, if you recall. Uh, Razor. we'll
0: talk about that as well. I don't remember yes. much, and there's lies that we will get into that you uh purported to me, uh, in preparation of this show, which I completely, <laughs> completely do not believe, nor will I believe. Uh, but we'll get into that in, in the weeks and months to come. Uh, it's okay,
1: Heartbreak Kid. It's fine.
0: I, I swear to God. I like I sw- I think I was like pissed off at you afterwards because I don't know what you're <laughs> talking about. He claims that I was a big Shawn Michaels fan. I wouldn't have been a Shawn Michaels fan on any planet, in any state, in any universe in the world.
1: Chad literally came into middle school with a radio playing Shawn Michaels music, dancing to it.
0: I don't believe that for a
1: second. I really don't. And I have a very good memory.
0: How did I just remember? I could tell you everything that uh, Rick Martell ate for breakfast on that morning in 1994, but I couldn't. That I don't believe for the life of me.
1: I obviously made up that last part.
0: I don't think you did. I think you might be telling the truth. <laughs> kind of scary because I don't remember that at all. Um, but uh, yeah, but we're going to talk about a lot of this cool stuff. Specific moments, specific matches. Uh, and again, talking to people from the era, but maybe not even just that wrestled in the era, people who were fans at the time, uh, promoters, uh, different, maybe even, you never know, a celebrity that was a fan at the time could pop up on the show. If it has to do with these years, these 92 ish, 93 to 97, we're going to talk about it. And there's a lot yes. to cover. And I think this is going to be cool. So if you like it, stay tuned. Uh, if you don't like it, stay tuned, because I think we can uh, change your mind. It's not going to be your typical, uh, uh, review show obviously you know we didn't run down every match on the card we could have but we're not going to we're going to talk about it in a discussion form and uh see how it all develops and uh you know kind of go from there you got any final comments before i wrap it up
1: uh i just think this is going to be a a fun show we're going to hit up the new generation which is it's probably my favorite era of wrestling i, I think it might be your favorite era of wrestling and I, I think it, it's just going to be a good time. We're going to have a lot of discussions that are not had in mass today. Because yeah, as we, as you mentioned earlier, this is somewhat of a forgotten era. But we're going to bring it back to the forefront.
0: I wouldn't say it's maybe my favorite era, but it's one that I like to talk about. Mm-hmm. I, that I still said 84 through, you know, like 91 is untouchable to me. I mean, especially 87, 88, but this one, I think I could talk the most about having lived it more. Um, and before we wrap it up, I want to point out that this is actually what Tim had pointed out to me was his choice for the dawning of the new generation era is when Marty Janetti goes through the barbershop window, which again, wow. it's early in 92, but you can't really argue with it because this is a real, you know, defining moment for the career of a guy who'd be a staple of the, that entire era.
1: I I believe that's too early of a moment, but I will I will never deny that that is possibly the greatest moment <laughs> in WWF history. I lo- like I have rewatched that so many times that it that is the one of the most perfect heel turns that ever happens in wrestling.
0: Ladies um, and gentlemen, the Rockers. Yes. Oh, I yes. knew he was gonna do that. <laughs> <laughs> here we go.
1: Yes, Ooh. Bobby Heenan on commentary here is the most amazing thing ever. Um, Talking, <laughs> he, he talks about Mark Gennetti diving through the window to escape.
0: Genetti tried to dive through the window to escape. I mean, come on. But, yeah, so this was Tim's choice uh, for the dawning of the new generation. And, again, it, it's a debated topic, and everybody's got an opinion, and I'm not going to say either one of you are wrong. So uh, if this is where we all think it starts. That's You're wrong more, that's more content to be honest with you so if we said it goes back to 92 uh you know that's more content to uh, to dive through but uh I could spend about seven episodes talking about the ring boy and the steroid scandal so I, I don't want to do that
1: <laughs> yeah I would not want to do that either
0: all right, so let's get into the uh, to the wrap up portion of the show. Uh, every single week, you're going to catch us here. It's New Generation Declassified. Um, you know, we hope you entertained by it. We hope you uh, you find something out. If you've got some comments on it, obviously, please uh, don't hesitate to reach out on social media. If you f- want to follow me, it's at Chad Emb on Twitter. It's at Chad Emb on Instagram. And for those who want to follow more podcasts going on by me, I've got a couple shows on Vince Russo's The Brand. I've got Eyes Up here with the Queen of Extreme, Francine. Every single week, we are bringing just a hilarious mix of content to Vince Russo's Patreon page, as well as our Patreon page, where three times a week we post a brand-new episode, talking about everything from, you know, life to uh, religion to Disney to music to comedy and then watching a little wrestling and commenting on that as well. And also on Vince Russo's The Brand, I have the Triple Threat podcast with the franchise Shane Douglas and my TMPT brother, Mr. JP, Primetime, John Paz. We uh, do the Triple Threat podcast every single week and like to keep you entertained. So uh, my uh, co-host here, CP, he's a podcaster as well. And uh, CP, wants you tell them about your boxing podcast and uh, where they can find it, and uh, a little more info on it.
1: Uh, yeah, absolutely. So it's uh, called Stick and Move Stories. Uh, it's a podcast where we basically cover uh, historical events in history. We I uh, we usually take a fight and basically review the build up, the fight itself, and the post fight. Uh, and it can be found if you just google stick and move stories it'll come to the top it's on spotify and anchor is an anchor right now but it's coming to more platforms soon um, we actually just wrapped up what i what i built as the season finale which was episode 12 but uh june or um, middle july there's going to be more episodes coming out as well but you can find the first 12 episodes uh, googling stick and move or just looking or googling stick and move stories or just looking that up on spotify
0: yeah, absolutely. Uh, You're doing, you know, doing a great job there. That's for sure. And anybody who's, uh, you know, got the podcasting bug, you know, I always say go for it. And you definitely did. And it's a topic you know a lot about uh, with boxing. And I don't know if there was really any boxing crossovers for wrestling during this time period. There were after and before, but I don't think in these few years there was really any boxing um, crossover that we could cover. Uh, but hey, if this was ninety-eight, we'd talk about Tyson. If this was ninety one or ninety, we could talk about Buster Douglas. If this was ninety-two, we could talk about Lennox Lewis. I mean, there's uh, so many boxing crossovers, just not in this couple of years.
1: Oh, so for for wrestling fans that aren't into boxing, one day there will be a stick and move stories podcast April Fool's episode where Roddy Piper versus Mr. T is covered. <laughs>
0: Hey, can't go wrong. That's a great one. Hey, don't (laughs) don't sleep on uh, Bob Orton versus Mr. T. That's another good one. (laughs) Yes, yes. yes. Where they said Mr. T had to basically get picked up off the floor uh, because he was so blown up. And Bob Orton was sitting there smoking a cigarette and reading his newspaper five minutes after he walked through the curtain.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing.
0: So very good. The stick and moves podcast. Uh, keep up the good work and uh, we'll see what happens the next time around. Want to thank Tim again for uh, his help and what he'll be bringing to the show um we didn't ask him what he had to promote before so uh we'll just say tim you do a great job and keep doing what you're doing and if you have stuff i'll ask you beforehand the next time i didn't do that this week so uh my apologies to you if you had anything specific but you're doing uh you're doing god's work in providing us with some entertaining visuals as we talk about stuff and like i said it's going to trigger some stuff it could trigger stuff we might not even wanted to talk about but still nonetheless this is different this is new And uh, we'll see what happens next. So for uh, my co-host here, CP, this is the Chadster. We will see you on the flip side. Thanks for listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling. What the world is downloading.